Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients' products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. Our guest expert for this episode is Brandon Marug, Chief Technology and Privacy Officer for ALOM. Brandon's earlier podcast episode about data in the supply chain was so popular and received such a positive response that we decided to invite him back to talk about digital transformation in the supply chain. Brandon, thank you for being here today. My pleasure, Jen. One of the things that I've been thinking about is that because technology and data is so ingrained in almost every nook and cranny of the supply chain, It Mm -hmm. seems to me that a supply chain is its own individual technology company. That's pretty astute. We like to say at at Elam that we're running not one business, but we're running 50 businesses. Most of our supply chain solutions for our customers are fairly bespoke and, and fairly boutique. And that's very much on purpose because everybody's supply chain is a little bit different. And sometimes Elam is managing you know, all the way from the sourcing of the raw materials to the delivery of the final product at the uh, to the end user. And sometimes we're just a piece of that supply chain wherever the client needs help. But you're absolutely right. I think each supply chain is unique in that way. The integration of technology and the connecting different pieces of data, that seems to be something that is a big point of opportunity and failure within the tech world. Can you talk about that? Yeah, integration is a big deal on supply chain, obviously. And traditionally, it's been relatively poor with most large trading partners out there still requiring old EDI connections over value-added networks and this technology from the 80s and the 90s. And lately, a lot of the big boys have come along for the ride with some of the more medium-sized people like us and joined the 21st century and had a better time with integration with technologies like REST API. Uh, So RESTful APIs are a now very standard way of communicating between two systems in many industries and is what Twitter and Facebook and all the big boys use. So what RESTful APIs allow you to do is within a secure and trustful manner, connect very quickly to other systems and get information and post information. In fact, every time you're on a website, you're interacting with the RESTful API in a way. When you go to um, yahoo.com and you say, give me this story, it's talking to an API that's then delivering that story to your browser. And that technology is really allowing trading partners to break down barriers and, and especially the barriers to entry for trading information. And it also increases the fidelity of that information. Let me define fidelity. So when you send an email, the person on the other end is not getting the email you sent. They're getting a copy of the email that you sent, right? But the fidelity is perfect. So no one ever thinks about it that way. And it's the same way with information that's going between trading partners. And in the old ADI days, you would try to shoehorn your information into this rigid structure 
that would then be interpreted by the target system, hopefully, maybe the way you hoped it would. And in RESTful API, you don't need to worry about that. You can actually define the data specifically for that interaction and maintain that perfect fidelity that you would get in the email analogy that I just used. So we have a couple of RESTful APIs, our MS API and our partner API that we've brought to market that our customers and partners absolutely love because we can very quickly exchange information and you don't need programmers all the time to make adjustments. So if a customer says, hey, I want to send you this additional piece of information and I need you to pass it on to your partner in China, then we can quickly add that in a matter of days instead of weeks or months or just plain impossible in the old EDI days. So that's a big deal. Would you say for the range of clients and customers that ALOM works with, there's a range of acceptance with data and with technology. What happens when there's a sophistication disconnect? Someone is much more technologically advanced. We usually call it maturity. We call it the, uh, whether or not the training partner is technologically mature when it comes to integration. People are at those stages in, in development for different reasons. But if the idea is that we're all going to this goal of being interconnected and maturing is this idea of interconnectivity between training partners, then I think that's where it comes from. But yeah, it causes problems for sure. And we have cases where we're interacting with a client whose system is just closed. It's just closed and there's no opportunity for integration. We can find ways around getting away from the swivel chair data entry by either using native reporting that they can send to us in one way or the other, or even getting reporting out of their system directly and getting it important to our systems. So it takes usually a lot of creativity to bring technology to bear in those cases and improve people's lives. Because that's one of our core tenets is we don't try to bring any technology to bear unless it's going to improve someone's life hopefully to improve productivity, improve your ability to do your job or your ability to do what you do well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you find that some industries are more mature than others? For example, would a B2B be more mature than B2C or vice versa? Or would a customer or a company in, let's say, health and wellness, medical, pharmaceutical be more mature with data and with technology in their supply chain? Yeah, there are certainly some, you might even call them stereotypes out there. Usually the older, the less mature they are, which is kind of opposite way of thinking, I suppose. But a lot of the automotive industry, especially, is still stuck in the old ways of, of doing things. And that's understandable, right? It's enormous. Those supply chains are so huge and those systems are so huge that getting them out of those legacy systems is daunting, to say the least. A lot of the medical industries is like that, for sure. Uh, but we do find, of course, the technologies, the consumer goods industry that we find locally in the Bay Area, almost always very mature when it comes to interconnectivity. So yeah, it, it runs the gamut a bit. And of course, there's always exceptions to that rule. But I would say year over year, it keeps improving. And there's definitely this push in general in the industry as a whole to move further along in this kind of maturity scale. On a day-to-day -day basis, what do you think is getting the most of your brain power, the most of your attention? Solutions building for our clients and internal solutions building as well. 
that's probably because it's also what I enjoy the most. Uh, so what we're doing there is either we're optimizing some productivity or optimizing a supply chain. We're improving people's lives either internally or externally, or we're building a solution for a customer on a new project. Building solutions just means there's a problem. And the problem is we're trying to get this thing from A to B and we don't know how to do it or we know how to do it, but it's really hard and it takes a lot of people and it's painful and there's got to be a better way. And can't we make a computer do it? So that's what I spend a lot of my time on is looking at a process or an entire supply chain or an entire kind of program in the sense of a physical and digital program and trying to make it better. Make it better for people, make it better for the product, make it better for the quality, make it better for the security, make it better. So this statement, there's got to be a better way. I'm curious if you equate that statement with technology. I, I equate it with technology, process, and people. Probably heard those three combined pretty often. And that's the tenets of digital transformation. And in fact, part of that, what we were talking about before with the interconnectivity maturity, those are digital transformation projects that people are going under, right? And digital transformation is, is about people, process, and technology. So you want better processes, you want better technology to give the tools to the people to do what they do well. So if we look out two years, five years, 10 years, and we think about technology, specifically data, is data going to become more or less important? It'll keep becoming more important for sure. But is there a limit to how actionable data can be? The answer is I don't, I don't really know. I do spend time thinking about it, though. And if you look at our trajectory, it's slowed slightly over the past five or six years, but it's still exponential as far as data creation and computing power and all of those things. So I think the next big thing that will come with the data proliferation is that we have to do something about automatic curation, some way of basically spam controlling all of the data that's out there. We're kind of doing that with spam control on email right now, right? But we kind of need that at a much larger scale before we all just drown in it and it becomes meaningless. One of the things I think about a lot is where do we spend our time in, in innovation, right? And I talked earlier about improving people's lives and, and giving people the right tools to do their jobs well. But also, of course, we're trying to create services that our customers need and, and are asking for. And the pandemic has shifted that. For many years, it was all about financial optimization in general. So it, how do I do what I'm already doing cheaper and faster and more optimized? And how do I tune my forecast and tune my supply chain so tight that I have all my inventories just in time and I'm super, super efficient. And the pandemic kind of came in and blew that up. And then we ran out of toilet paper is what happened. Uh, so I've seen a shift in that zeitgeist from that ultra optimization to agility, right? It's all about agility now. How fast can you move things around and how agile can my supply chain be so that it's protected against crazy things like uh, nobody using toilet paper in, in the office anymore and everybody using it at home. You know, crazy shifts in demand. And we've also been at the effect of that, for sure. I was talking about 2 million serial numbers per week that is COVID test kits and talk about a forecast that made no sense. These are customers that we've had for a long time and their forecasts 
was in five digits, six digits per week. And then Biden came and, and said, hey, by the way, everybody's got a test. And then those forecasts went up by a factor of 10 overnight. And having the agility to be able to scale like that has been critical. And it's been a big success story for ALOM over the past year. But what is necessary to be agile? Part of being agile is adapting. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. A really fun example of agility is Apollo 13. When things went wrong on Apollo 13, they had to adapt and, and be agile to be able to get those astronauts home safe. You know, they weren't landed on the moon anymore. Now they had to make everything work in a different way. And they had the people and the tools and the technology, as, as it was back then, and the passion to get that done. And it's a very similar situation for us over, over the past year. And you know, we've had these tools in place that were being used for different reasons or for different goals. And being able to adapt those tools to redirect their purpose into the COVID testing kit industry, let's say, as a, for instance, has been absolutely critical. So the easiest example of that is ALOM e-commerce. So we have an ALOM e-commerce platform that we tend to use for people to do some B2C, uh, some B2B in, in general, but it's really fulfilling product, right? It's like you know, a sweater or a hat or something like that. But it's always been geared toward supply chain management rather than this kind of pretty website kind of thing. The Shopify's of the world are one thing where you're trying to sell through and, and that's the big goal. But for Alum e-commerce, we come at it a little bit differently where it's really an order management system for our client supply chain where they can garner demand from their client base, our clients, customers. So we adapted that system so that the COVID testing kit companies could garner demand from their testing sites directly onto the portal and have allocations per region and approval cycles and, and all of that. And without that, application for that customer, they never would have been able to get the demand straight and tell us what to do or even fulfill as quickly as they did. And we pulled that together in, in a couple of weeks. And that's been uh, you know a huge success story and definitely data-driven supply chain. When you think about data-driven supply chains, do you see places where data can be really helpful, but customers or clients or just companies overall don't really see the need for it. It certainly happens and you get customers that like data more than other customers, I guess is a good way of putting that. And so we have customers that have 25 dashboards that we've given them in the Alon BI and they've got them on monitors in their bullpens and you know, and they, they have them in their meetings and they're, they're all about it. They, they love it. And then we have other customers that say, ah, I'm not, I don't really care. Did you ship my order? You know, so it, <laughs> <laughs> so we, right. we, certainly, we certainly tend to work better with the former than the latter. Uh, but yeah, there's still absolutely that kind of alignment issue with our clients. We had talked earlier about how data can be misleading. And so I'm wondering if there are decisions that you've seen companies make that have been data driven, but they've just been bad. Yeah, for sure it happens. And it usually happens um, when trend analysis is either done poorly or with a limited data set or in too narrow a field. So it's usually the analysis of trends that you see kind of going awry. 
And we certainly try to get in front of those types of things and help customers help themselves. And then, of course, there's the pitfall of data for data's sake. And that is a huge pitfall, especially when it comes to privacy and data security. So you'll get people who say, oh, I've got all this information. Let me just send you everything. You know, I, oh, I've got my client's uh, social security number. Let me send that too, just in case we need it later. That's an extreme example, obviously. But it really needs to be targeted because it really has shifted where too much data is a problem and not enough data is similar problem. And you really want to get something in between, especially as security and regulatory bodies are ever increasing, especially around privacy. I just thought of the, something that we should coin and that we sh- should call it the Goldilocks data. You don't want to have too much and you don't want to have too little and you don't want it to be like too confusing or whatever. So it's too much or too little, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. the Goldilocks. It's the Goldilocks. That's a really good way of putting it. And to Go back to that earlier analogy with the cybersecurity industry. They had so much data for data's sake that it became literally impossible to mine. And giant companies like Microsoft have had to invent these artificial intelligence engines that can cut through it. And we want to try to avoid that in the the supply chain industry, I would say. So just because you can get some data doesn't mean you should. Brandon, I really enjoyed our conversation today and learned a lot. And I hope that you'll come back on our podcast soon. If you missed Brandon's first appearance on Smart Supply Chain, where he talks about the evolution of data in the supply chain, you can find it on ALOM's website at alom.com slash podcast. That's alom.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening.